It is Locked on NBA, your local experts on the biggest stories. I'm David Locke, in for Josh Lloyd. David Ramil, Wes Goldberg, in for you tomorrow on the regular Tuesday. John Corrales, Jake Madison coming for you on Wednesday. All right, if we're going to start the weekend that was and all the stories, we're going to start with the Clippers because the Clippers... Locked on Clippers iTunes ratings are higher than locked on Lakers. No, that's not the reason. Because the Clippers beat the Lakers in Summer League. No, no. Charles Mockler joins us from Locked on Clippers, part of the two-man team that hosts the show. Locked on Clippers. The the Clippers are the universal favorites in the NBA to win a title, Charles. They are the team that an NBA superstar uh, chose to go to. Dogs and cats are living together. What happened here? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I think everyone, I mean, you know, we thought we had a good chance for Kawhi. Not a lot of other people seemed to think that, but we, most people kept up belief in Clipper Nation and then really just got kind of blindsided in the best way possible with the Paul George trade. And now if we can keep Jermichael Green, which I haven't heard any news on yet, we should be, I mean, you know, in a pretty good position. I don't want to get too far ahead of anything, but it's going to be looking good. All right, let's go back to, has there ever been a franchise lower than the Clippers were the night the end, the players almost didn't take the floor during the Donald Sterling situation? Do you think that's the lowest any franchise in NBA history have ever, has ever been? I think maybe uh, not only NBA history, but I'm not – sure on my you know history of players refusing to play because of an owner history but that might take most of north american sports too i would maybe throw that in there for good measure because you know i mean they it's doc has stories about that night and it just sounds like one of the worst nights ever so it's it's definitely up there or down there i should say okay so but then they still have this talent they get this new owner and yet that peters out the Chris Paul, Blake Griffin era is, I think, as tumultuously uh, filled with controversy as they try to deny it <laughs> and that they really didn't like each other. How do they recover from that? Uh, you recover by getting the best owner in the NBA, I think. A guy who understands that enthusiasm for the team doesn't always necessarily mean having to make decisions for the team, which is huge. Uh, obviously, the pockets help and the vision help. But that was big. Lawrence Frank, the whole front office, you know the story. I think it was the old front office used to be able to fit in a sprinter van or something like that. And now it's a staff of 20-plus. So really just getting a guy who cared helped a whole hell of a lot. (laughs) How did they sell Kawhi? The the Clippers, who just don't move the meter in L.A. yet, was the team worth going to? The big part, you know, I I tried to not pay attention to the leaks. I think everyone kind of was susceptible a little bit to getting caught up in some of them. But there just wasn't a lot of noise coming from the Clippers at all. No one had any idea that there was a meeting at Doc's house. Um, No one had any idea even about the ultimatum. Uh, No one had any idea that Paul George was on the market for, you know, albeit a record-setting amount of picks, but... I think it was the low keyness and what, like what you just said, haven't really moved the needle yet in LA. So I think maybe you could sell him on being the one to move the needle, but do it in your own way. Do you have anything that has you concerned? Right now, uh, 
not re-signing Jermichael Green just yet is a little concerning. He's a huge piece that I, you know, I personally both on the podcast think is absolutely critical to really making this a, you know, pretty damn close to leak-proof roster. And anytime you give up that many picks, there's a little bit of gnawing in the back of your head about, you know, what could those end up being? You know, what ifs, what ifs, what ifs. But other than that, just trying to keep expectations to a normal level, I guess, because we've never really been in this position before. So we're trying to find the ceiling right now. And what has you the most excited? I mean, opening night. It's gonna be, it's gonna be incredible to see that team out there. Uh, we, you know, we still have Lou Will and Trez. The energy in Staples Center is gonna be fantastic. And it's going to give a great picture of what to look forward to when the new stadium gets built, hopefully, you know, on schedule. The Patrick Beverly, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George defensive combination. <laughs> Is that the Ron Harper, Scottie Pippen, Michael Jordan defensive combination <laughs> all over again? Um, I don't know if it's that quite yet. Uh, I don't know if I would go that far, but no, that defense, I was going to say, other than opening night, watching people try and score on this defense is going to be great. Um, if you're a one through four player in this league, I don't really know who you switch. Uh, I don't know who you call a switch off of. You know, you throw in Mo in there as well, and that's another defender who maybe isn't exactly on the same level as those guys, but is, if he's your fourth option, that's a pretty formidable defense. Uh, it's going to be, it's going to be really fun to watch. And I don't think it's going to be. I think we're going to grind a lot of teams down. And yeah, I'm really excited. I can't. I'm really happy Bev gets to play in a defensive lineup like this too. What do you think the f- most often used five man lineup is? Whew. that's a tough one to say. I think. I don't know how much we're going to see. Uh, oh, excuse me. Phone's going off. I don't know how much we're going to see per game Kawhi and Paul George in the beginning, maybe, but I think you, I think we're going to see Bev at the one. Right now, the point guard situation is a little bit up in the air. Um, maybe you know, if you want to go really good shooting, you go Shamit at the two, Kawhi at the three. George at the four, Zoo at the five. And then I think maybe you could put Jermichael Green in there on the five and we could see that lineup of Paramount too. That's maybe a little more hope on my part, but Jermichael Green at the five is something we saw in the playoffs that worked really well with his team. And how do you integrate Lou Williams into that or Montrez Harrell? Same way we did last year. You, you know, you pitch him on, this team works minutes in an interesting way, you know, because you're on the bench doesn't mean you get bench minutes necessarily. Uh, maybe we need an offensive closeout and we put those two in for some pick and roll with maybe even Shamit on the second lineup too. But we work those guys in the way that we've been working them in. I don't think it changes too much. I think maybe we even see some Trez, Lou, you know, Paul George minutes in some odd situations. But I think they, they know what's up. They've bought into the system. And I don't think, you know, I think it's, uh, it's hard to expect the same season from them in terms of having, you know, they had the best pick and roll of all time. So there's might be some regression there, but I don't think the integration is going to be too difficult. What team in the Western conference do you think gives the Clippers the biggest fright 
Or do you think it's not close? Do you think the Clippers are a 60-win team and everybody else is a 52-win team? That's been some debate among uh, Will and myself and a lot of Clipper Nation. I think we're at that 55 line. I think for win 55 is something you could reasonably expect um, and hope for, and you wouldn't be called a complete lunatic. Teams that scare me in the regular season, Denver's bringing every single person back. I mean, the Jazz just got a really, really, you know, deep as hell. Um, They're going to be great. We don't really know what to expect from the Warriors. They're obviously not the same team, but I think it's those first two teams I mentioned, though. Uh, It's going to remain to be seen what goes on with the Lakers. They obviously have talent and then maybe not as strong as depth as the Clippers do. But, yeah, I think Denver and Utah are going to be a big pain for us. He is Charles Mockler. You can catch him on Locked on Clippers, the local experts on the biggest stories. Charles, thanks so much for the time. Thank you for having me. A big day of Locked on NBA, biggest stories, local experts. We've talked to the Clippers. We've got the Thunder perspective coming up and the Raptor perspective. But the other angle on this has to be the Lakers, who everyone began to think Kawhi might go to. We thought we had the next super team of LeBron and Anthony Davis. Let's find out from Anthony Irwin what it feels like in Lakerland right now with the Clippers suddenly the ones who grab the free agent. I've analogized it. I've compared it to I'm the oldest brother. I have one brother who is about seven years younger than me. I have another one who's about 13 years younger than me. And when the first time my middle brother beat me one-on-one, uh, it really woke me up, right? You you really kind of sit there and you kind of you, you try to explain it away. You, you said, wow, I gave him a couple points up front. I wasn't really that interested, and so it looked like he was going to beat me. And But at the, rea- the reality of the situation is you just got caught up to. And in this case, the Lakers, being the big brother here, they have to recognize, yeah, I, I they really tried, and they lost out to little brother who was just better at the little things. And, and hopefully, you know, the, the time that, Andrew beat me one on one. I went straight to the gym and I, I worked. <laughs> I, I, I tried to get a few shots up and I tried to make sure that didn't ever happen again. Uh, and 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 hopefully here with the Lakers, they identify some of these problems. They Rob Polinka shouldn't been, shouldn't have been the GM here. Uh, they, if they were going to entrust Magic Johnson to these things, they had to be on the same page with him to make sure he didn't leak all the information that he did. And you know, the, the, Frank Vogel isn't the kind of coach that is going to sell a superstar on coming to the Lakers. They didn't do. They didn't really get any of those th- those three things right, and hopefully now they identify. Okay, yeah, we should maybe identify some of those problems and fix them. I, I have your show with Harrison was just fabulous. Uh, the emergency podcast reaction. So if anyone wants to go back and grab that, it was really thought you had a bunch of great points. I, I then I listened to that, and then it was interesting. I was sitting somewhere where there were two guys up talking, kind of in a bar, and I was sitting behind them at a table, and they said. God, oh my gosh, the Lakers offseason, what a just a uh, uh, total unmitigated disaster. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> like, they, yeah. they, they just walked out with Anthony Davis, and I, they might have signed Danny Green by then. Like, it's hard for yeah. me to really sit here and feel like the Lakers are a total failure. I mean, it's stunning, obviously, right. that Kawhi decided he'd rather be with the Clippers. A little bit. Maybe not, actually, though. Like, a lot of us thought to ourselves, like, why would he want to go – to somewhere when he's the best player in the league right now. So mm-hmm. are the Lakers, is the criticism really fair? Being disappointed with Kawhi and being 
in understanding that you can still have a successful offseason. I think in the moment, it's really hard to separate those two things, but they aren't mutually exclusive. The Lakers are walking into next season, I would probably say, is like the third best team in the Western Conference. You know, I I think maybe the fourth, you know, depending on how, how we feel about Utah, but I have Denver as my favorite to come out of the West next year, and then the Clippers are obviously right there. Utah is really good, and then the Lakers are there. And they put themselves in that situation by landing Anthony Davis. <laughs> they, they're going to go into next year with Anthony Davis and LeBron James. And they have a piece in Danny Green who makes a ton of sense there. Uh, and, and, you know, more importantly than, than, than Danny Green specifically, they had a plan here. They said, we're going to wait on Kawhi Leonard as long as we possibly can. But while we wait, we're going to line this contingency plan up. We're going to talk to Danny Green and we'll say, look, we will give you a little bit extra if you just hang tight. And, and wait this thing out with, with Kawhi, Kawhi Leonard. He has come out and, and essentially said as much. They had this contingency plan also with DeMarcus Cousins. And, and by employing JaVale McGee last year, they, they, they kind of had the same thing. So while it's disappointing and, and while the Lakers likely missed out on a dynastic run potentially, they still are going into next season with a team that, you know, is, is fairly exciting and, and, you know, there's always a chance they haven't uh, announced Rajon Rondo yet that that falls through. So who knows? When when you when you look at the Kawhi quest, one of the criticisms is, oh, the Lakers believe in Laker excellence, and that. Do you buy that? That's still hurting the franchise. I think there definitely was a period here where that hurt the franchise. Do you think that is still restricting the franchise? the fact that they just believe they're the Lakers, so it always will happen for them. I don't, I don't know if I would, I would attack that angle from a different standpoint. You look at them and they're very insulated as thinkers, right? They haven't hired a non-Lakers person in how long in their front office? Like, they went from Jim Buss and Mitch Kupchak. Jim Buss got that job because he was Dr. Jerry Buss' son. Uh, Mitch Kupchak worked under uh, Jerry Weston. And, you know, to their credit, they, they did pull off a couple championships here and there. But then they go from that to Magic Johnson. And, and at the time, I guess I understood it. That was one of the few basketball people that Jeannie Buss really recognized. And as such, she trusted him and, and she hired him. Once he stepped down, though, and, and did so in such embarrassing fa- fashion that, you know, Jeannie Buss didn't see it coming and, and nobody really saw it coming there within the organization. And that was after, you know, a, a pretty disastrous first year in that role. That's when that's when you have that wake up call and you say, okay, that's the greatest Laker of all time. We just saw that Lakers exceptionalism is not embodied by that guy. Therefore, let's maybe open up the doors a little bit. Let's at least look at these candidates. And and I would go so far as to say this: if they if they even ask to interview Masai, let alone throw some Godfather offer at him, if they if they bring over Masai Ujiri, somebody who Kawhi Leonard legitimately trusts. That, put, that at least puts themselves in a better situation than they were with Rob Palenka, who nobody really trusts around the NBA. And that was a big deal to him. So, so yeah, I think while it's, it's fine to believe and, and have confidence as the Lakers because they have earned it, uh, it, it you still have to recognize that not all that, that glitters is gold. And in this case, there's a whole bunch of fool's gold around the Lakers organization that they need to chip away from. All right, let's get uh, back on the floor just quickly. There was the DeMarcus Cousins story, and there was the Rajon Rondo story. What's your thought on those two additions to the roster? So the, the, the first one 
with who's it Rajon Rondo you asked about? I either either Rondo or Cousins. So Cousins to me is a is you have to make that signing. It's three and a half million dollars. Like that's he's as equipped as any player in the NBA to outplay his value and and given what the Lakers were working with, you have to make that signing. Uh, he gets along really well with Anthony Davis. Uh, LeBron James really respects him as well. Uh, I think as a result of those two relationships, he's going to accept. He's going to be more open to accepting a role on that roster than he would be, say, elsewhere. Rondo, to me, is the one that I really don't understand. I mean, I get it because, again, for some of the same reasons there, uh, Anthony Davis really respects him. LeBron James really respects him. But Rajon Rondo hasn't been a good NBA player in, in years outside of a few uh, playoff runs here and there. He was, I would argue, one of the worst players in the NBA who played a, a significant role on an NBA team last year and is now older. And, you know, one of the stats that really stands out to me is when even when they were in New Orleans, Anthony Davis and, and DeMarcus Cousins had a plus 5.3 rating when those two guys were on the court. As soon as Rajon Rondo stepped onto the court, that dropped to a negative 1.3 rating. The Lakers last year were 10 points better. They, they were eight points worse when Rondo was on the court, and they were like a point and a half better when he was off of it. And, you know, I don't know how many numbers they have to stare at for the extent of time that Rondo has been not very good to recognize that I don't care what reputation you have, you're just not a very good NBA player anymore. And, you know, he's on a veteran's minimum contract, but his very position on the roster, he's probably going to start because of the reputation he holds. That throws off the point guard rotation. He might finish the occasional game, and you know that those numbers are going to be loud again next year, and and it's going to make the Lakers worse in those big close-game situations late in games. It's just I don't understand it. It it, kind of goes back to – highlight some of the real big shortcomings that the Lakers have run into because they're so insulated in their thinking. And, uh, and yeah, so I think those two, I think DeMarcus Cousins could be a great signing. Rajon Rondo almost definitely will be a terrible one. I ran some numbers. I haven't finished it yet. I had the Lakers as the number one team in the West when they added Rajon Rondo. They slipped to fourth or fifth, so I would agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. It, it doesn't shock me at all. It doesn't shock me at all. He, he was you know, the only player worse than him in terms of net rating last year on the roster was Mo Wagner, and I think he played like 14 games uh, and, and was hurt and was a rookie. And, and you know, it, it takes quite a bit for an NBA veteran to be up against, you know, with only that guy on the roster who is that much worse than, than he is or, is or is in that class of player. And, and that's been the case forever here with Rondo. You want to make him an assistant coach? Cool. You got you got Jason Kidd there. You know you're willing to spend for on on assistant coaches. Go that route. He's Anthony Irwin. Catch him on Locked On Lakers. It's the biggest stories from the local experts. We've got the Raptors and the Thunders. We continue on today's edition of Locked On NBA. Our next stop is Toronto. Probably not that happy, but frankly, it was worth it. Sean Woodley hosts Locked On Raptors. How's it? How is it to be a world champion? It's great. I'm wearing a T-shirt that has a Larry O'Brien trophy on it, uh, designed from all the different Raptors logos. It's great. It, it, this stuff all came out after the Raptors won the title, which people should not forget. Uh, I feel like, you know, Raptors fans obviously are disappointed that Kawhi is not going to be with the Raptors going forward. But the gamble, as you said, was entirely worth it. And they made good on a one-year championship window. 
they're batting a thousand, which not many teams can say. And I, I just, you know, it's for me, this summer entirely has mostly been about just like no worries. Hakuna Matata, the Raptors have won a title for the first time in franchise history. And obviously the Kawhi thing was huge. And I mean, you saw what happened in Toronto this week with the, the chopper cams and everything, trying to f- follow them around and figure out what was going on. And ultimately... They got beat by an irresistible offer that the Clippers made. Hey, come play with Paul George because we just, you know, did what the Raptors did and made a crazy trade to ensure a superstar would come by. That's to ensure Kawhi would come. I suppose it's different, obviously, a different context, and it's a second superstar, but it's the same idea. And the Clippers made a bet, and they did. And like, I'm happy for Clippers fans. I'm, I'm personally glad he didn't go to the Lakers. And uh, you know, it'll take some time to, you know, have it all sort of come clear in my head and stuff but for the most part i'm just thankful that Kawhi was here for a year man you know the raptors have had some good times a lot of bad times and a lot of just like times where it seemed like the raptors were drifting into nothing for you know many years at a time and Kawhi changed all of that and changed the narrative around the team and nothing's ever going to be the same because the raptors now have that little gold strip on their jersey and that's because of Kawhi. And it's, you know, I'm just thankful more than anything. Over this not that extended time, five, six days, but it felt very extended just because of the way the free agency went. Did Raptor Mm -hmm. fans' hopes of keeping Kawhi increase more than they maybe had been at other points in the process? Oh, man. It was kind of like uh, all over the place, I think. You know, it wasn't like a steady rise or decline in the confidence level. I think when the Raptors won the title, a lot of people were thinking, hey, why would he leave? They they have just won the title. They'll probably be favorites in the Eastern Conference next year, considering, um, you know, all the moves made around the league and might be favorites to win the title, considering the Warriors, you know, fell apart in the, in the postseason with their catastrophic injuries. And so I think... Raptors fans went in pretty confident on like Tuesday. There were a lot of there was a lot of Lakers noise because I think like Kawhi had his meeting with the Lakers and the Lakers leak everything apparently. And it seemed like Kawhi to the Lakers was like about to happen. And I think people were kind of in the dumps after that. But then the next day or two days later, Kawhi comes to Toronto for his meeting. There's the whole fanfare about the chopper cam, as I mentioned, and the fans lining the streets of the hotel that the meeting was at. And I think people kind of got confident and. There was, you know, a couple days there where Kawhi just hung out in Toronto. And a lot of people, I think, assume that to mean, hey, he's making a decision. They're crossing T's and dotting I's here, and he's just going to stick around in Toronto. Uh, yesterday, he flies back to San Diego, and, you know, another flight tracking <laughs> day uh, on, the, on the Internet, which was, I'm sure, healthy for all of our brains. And I think people were just kind of, you know, like they've made their pitch. And I think that's the thing, right, is even if the Raptors, you know, they, they lost the sweepstakes, obviously, but I don't think Raptors fans can take umbrage with anything the Raptors did. They, they made the best pitch possible. They said, hey, this is what we can do for you, Kawhi. We can keep you healthy. We know how to manage you. And it just wasn't enough to match the lure of going home and also to play with Paul George, I guess. And it sounds like Per Adrian Wojnarowski, the Raptors were in the conversation to try to trade for Paul George as well, which I think obviously would have, you know, clinched Kawhi returning. But, you know, that didn't happen because I think the the Thunder apparently were trying to dump Russell Westbrook on the Raptors as well. And that contract, I think, would have been something the Raptors just had no business taking on. And, you know, really, if you're offering two max guys in a deal, you're not really offering anything because how do you even make that trade work math-wise? It just seemed kind of unfeasible. 
So, yeah, like the Raptors did all they could, and you can't really hang your head over that. This was always going to be a long shot from day one, and considering the reports the day the trade happened, hey, Kawhi doesn't really even want to go to Toronto. Is he going to report? There was that. that was a question a year ago. You know, for it to go the way it did and for the Raptors to be in it to the very last day, I think speaks volumes of the pitch the Raptors made. And obviously Kawhi's his own guy and he had his own intentions and his own desires. And that Clipper situation is pretty appealing. So I don't think Raptors fans should hang their head at all. How will Kawhi be received when he comes back with the Clippers? That dude is a hero forever in this city, man. Uh, like, I, I'm sure there will be some people who I feel bad for who like have sour grapes over it. But I think the overwhelming majority of people are going to just be thrilled and thankful and happy that he brought so much joy to the city for an entire season. My mom, like she doesn't like basketball or didn't like basketball until Kawhi came to town. And over the course of the season, she became more and more of a fan. And she texted me this morning and she was like, yeah, it sucks that he's gone, but like the joy, uh, the disappointment of him leaving is dwarfed by the joy that he brought the city for two months there in the postseason and for the entire season getting to watch him. It was a real treat to get to watch that dude play, man. He's the most talented guy to ever play for the team. I'm not going to say he's the best Raptor of all time because that's Kyle Lowry forever and always, but um, it's, you know, he will always have a spot in Toronto fans' hearts because he brought him the championship that they've, that they've wanted for so long and never really. You know, the NBA is so tough, right? You know, I think there are a lot of teams out there who maybe don't know it now. Maybe they do know it, that they're just never going to win a title. It's really hard to acquire talent that is enough to win a title. And hanging on to that talent's its own trouble, right? So I think for the Raptors to get this title, I I think if you told me five years ago the Raptors are going to be NBA champions in five years, I would have laughed in your face because it just seemed unfeasible that they would get that kind of talent on their team. But they did it in the form of Kawhi. They did it for a year, and they knocked this season out of the park and won the title. So I, I think just the, the the experience of watching Kawhi for one season will be enough to endear him to the hearts of Raptors fans forever. And I can't wait for when he comes to Toronto for the first time with the Clippers and gets his ring, because that place is going to be raucous. What do the Raptors do now? I think a lot of us thought that they would make this run if they came short to the Warriors or something went wrong. You trade Kyle Lowry and you just start a rebuild. Where do you, what do you think they do now? I think, you know, winning the title has afforded them a bit of runway here, right? You don't have to go into next year and go for a full teardown because what's the fun in that? I think, Number one, there's just sort of like the sentimentality of it all, which is you're going to have a ring ceremony ring ceremony on your first day of the season, and you don't want to have, in addition to Kawhi and Danny Green being gone, having traded Kyle Lowry or Serge Ibaka or Marcus Gasol. Like, those guys should be there for the ring ceremony. That, I think, matters. And when you've won a title, the ticking time bomb that is your team's clock kind of goes away for a little bit, I think. So I think the Raptors have a chance here to run it back. And, like... The roster's still pretty good. I mean, Kyle Lowry's awesome. He's a five-time All-Star, and maybe he's on the decline now, but he's got one year left on his deal. Marcus Gasol was great in the postseason. If he's a bigger part of the offense instead of just like a bit part, I think he can still do stuff like he did in Memphis last year where he was, you know, what, a 17, 18-point-a-game scorer. I think Pascal Siakam obviously is the, the future now, and the way he played in the postseason being guarded by – three of the five best defenders in the world in Giannis and Draymond Green and Joel Embiid. I mean, that dude 
has been tested now, and he continues to improve all the time. And if you think his leap from year two to year three was remarkable, like I would, I would pencil in a bit of another mini leap as well for next season because that dude never, ever stops working. And every time he pulls up from mid-range and flashes that part of his game, I'm like, ah. Oh, Maybe that's just going to be a thing by December next year. And I think Pascal Siakam is really exciting. OG Ananobi will be back next season as well. It was a real tough season for him personally with his father dying and uh, and he had a bunch of injuries. Obviously, his appendix attacked him before the playoffs started and he missed the entire postseason because he lost like 30 pounds after the appendicitis uh, and the, the emergency appendectomy. Um, so he'll be back, and I think he's got a chance for a nice little bounce back too. Fred Van Vliet's still here. Norm Powell's still here. Serge Ibaka's still on the team. Like This is still a pretty good roster in an Eastern Conference that – I'm not entirely sure got that much better at the top. Like, I think the Sixers shuffled some deck chairs, sure, but I think they probably have a lower ceiling. I think the Bucks losing Malcolm Brogdon is huge. I think, obviously, it's a year until the Nets really hit their peak with KD coming back. And everywhere else, I, th- I think they're just kind of – all these teams are kind of the same or a little bit worse than they were. I think the Raptors are probably like a mid to – you know, like in, in the competition for a home court advantage in the first round, whether it's the, the third or fourth seed or something like that, that's very much on the table. This is still a good team with a good coach in Nick Nurse, and Masai Ujiri will figure things out. I mean, this guy is one of the best, if not the best, at his job in the entire league. And I think he's got a little bit of runway here to figure things out, too. Also, at the end of next season, Lowry, Gasol, Ibaka, and Van Vliet all come off the books. There's like $90 million of money opening up next summer. And it's not a great free agency class, but I think they might sort of keep that open a little bit and keep that powder dry. Because 2021, Giannis Antetokounmpo becomes a free agent. And if you don't think Masai Ujiri has been planning everything around this, if you don't think he mentioned to Kawhi Leonard, look, we have plans for Giannis in their meetings, then I think you're mistaken because Masai has a connection to the Antetokounmpo family going all the way back to when they came over to America uh, to, to start playing over here. And I, I just that is something I think Masai has had circled for the last like three or four years. And so maybe that doesn't work. Obviously, we've seen that, you know, opening cap space doesn't always work, but that'll be in the plans. Masai is always cooking something up. And I, I don't think he's done making bold moves to try to improve this team. Sean Woodley, Locked on Raptors, local experts on the biggest stories. Thank you very much for your perspective, and enjoy the Larry O'Brien trophy. Oh, I certainly will. Thanks, David. The stunner had to be in Oklahoma City. Well, I guess the stunner is everywhere on this one. Eric G. is the host of Locked on Thunder and joins us now. Eric, you wake up this morning or got it late last night and find out that Paul George is gone, that the Frankly, the Thunder run is over. What was your reaction? My reaction was it's about time for the Thunder to actually blow this team up. I'm I'm glad this happened. Um, and I may be in the minority here, um, but if you look at where the Thunder were going to be this year, at best they were going to be somewhere between fifth and eighth in the Western Conference. And that was going to be with two superstars. They really had no chance of maybe advancing past the second round, and I think you would have needed some wild things to happen throughout the season to get them into the Western Conference. So I was anxious for them to push the reset button and was glad that Sam Presti was able to take Paul George and manipulate Toronto, manipulate the Clippers, and get a major haul for him. The only thing about this, David, and I think you would agree when you look at those draft picks, as good as the Clippers are going to be and probably Miami's going to be in the next year, 
Those aren't going to be lottery picks. So the work is still cut out for Sam Presti, but this is a good start um, to rebuilding Oklahoma City. Do you feel any kind of dishonesty or anything from Paul George that he commits 12 months ago, takes the max deal, and then demands a trade? No, not really. Um, because when I think with with Paul George, I think there's a couple of things to keep in mind here. One, he signed a contract which allowed him to easily be traded. So I'm okay with that. I think it made him much easier to move with that contract he signed. Two, I think Paul George probably saw playing with Russell Westbrook at least for one more year as a viable option. But I think once you went through a year with the Thunder and Paul George, like everyone else, kind of realized the Thunder were stuck and he's in his 30s, there wasn't much left to do. I mean, you got to make a move. And if he didn't feel that Sam Presti could put the people around him and and Russ to make a run, then I have no problem with this at all. I think Paul George was just doing what's best for him. Do you think they're going to try to trade Russell Westbrook? I hope they try and trade Russell Westbrook. Um, And I know that's kind of sitting on the fence. I think the problem with that, David, is that you're looking at a guy that's on a Supermax whose game is to be explosive and rely on athletic ability, and he just turned 31 years old. And what I've been going through in my head all day is trying to figure out where the best fit for Russell Westbrook is and what the Thunder could possibly get for Russell Westbrook. So you're looking at teams that are contenders, and I'm going to kind of throw it back at you. If you're Philadelphia, if you're Boston, if you're the Lakers, um, if you're, well, they've already tried to trade him to the Raptors. Um, if you're the Milwaukee Bucks, does it really make sense to bring this guy on? Unfortunately, he's kind of the linchpin in all this, and I hope the Thunder can trade him, but it seems like that contract is going to be an albatross around your neck, and I don't know what exactly you could get in return unless there's just some team looking for a superstar to sell tickets that might have a ton of assets to give up. I mean, I, New Orleans might actually be a viable option here. Well, or um, Orlando's, Orlando probably fits better than anyone else in that they are hamstrung now with all the contracts they've signed, don't have a lot of ways to improve, and might see him as a marquee force if they believe he can still play. Uh, at a high enough level to earn that contract. New York, I guess, would be another one. So if you look back on it, Eric, if Russell, I think what we're talking about here is Russell Westbrook becomes very difficult to trade now. Obviously, they just got a lot for Paul George. Um, but they had a choice when Kevin Durant left of whether or not they tried to rebuild or whether they tried to reload. And they went to reload and yet never got out of the first round after that. Do you think that was the right decision? Or do you think that in retrospect, maybe they should have gone a different direction at that point? Well, in retrospect, I mean, they definitely should have gone in a different direction. I don't think there's there's any way to look at that. But I also think from Sam Presti's standpoint – I think I, from Sam Presti's standpoint, he felt handcuffed because you had a fan base that had had their expectations raised by this team being able to get to the finals, this team being able to get consistently to the Western Conference finals. And now that's what they expected. 
So you had a superstar and you chose to build around him. You went all in and it seemed like things were going in the right direction. But even in all that, you didn't do a good enough evaluation of putting the talent around those two superstars. And you found yourself in an NBA where it became a shooter's league and you didn't have any shooters. Um, I think in retrospect, yeah, they should have blown it up. But I think for what it was with the fans, it certainly helped them sell more tickets and keep fan interest, um, keep fan interest at a high. Now it's going to be interesting to see if they can trade Russell Westbrook, what exactly that does to season ticket sales and what the peak is like the next couple of years. Oh, you just hit it. That was going to be my next question. Oklahoma City's never had a bad team, particularly small market. A lot of fans who drive from Tulsa and far away. Do you think that that fan base holds stays as passionate it, through a rebuild? They've never had a bad team in Oklahoma City. Um, I'm what's that's the multi-million dollar question here. And my guess, knowing Oklahoma fans and how they feel about and how it's really kind of a college mentality around here, my guess is no. Uh, that you will see a drop off in attendance. You will see a drop off in season ticket sales and depending on how long it takes the Thunder to get back and be competitive, not just making it to the playoffs, but competitive at a championship level, you, you're going to see some erosion there. And But once the Thunder get back there, if they can get back there, that's when you will see attendance climb. I mean, we're about to find out just how loyal this fan base is to the Thunder. And I have been of the opinion that the Thunder have taken over the Oklahoma fan base, that they are the number one sports property here in the state, um, my opinion is now being put to the test. So I'm relying a lot on Thunder fans, and I hate to say it, it's it's a TBD situation, but Oklahoma's a winner's state. Always has been, always will be. And if you can't produce a consistent winner and not just win games, but show that you've got an opportunity to win to a cha- win a championship. They bail on you. I mean, that's kind of cold. Eric G, locked on Thunder. Thanks for the time. Appreciate it. Local experts on the biggest stories. Thank you.